Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. Listen, up on YouTube right now is our series, The First Family of Waterfowl. We have released a couple episodes now, so go check it out. First Family of Waterfowl. You can just go to our YouTube channel, The Big Honker Podcast. All of our episodes are there, and be sure to subscribe, like, do all that good stuff, share it with friends. So far, everybody has seemed to enjoy the series, so we hope that you would go check it out. First Family of Waterfowl, it's been a lot of fun. Go check out all of our wonderful sponsors. If you are in the market for a brand new hunting dog, I highly suggest you check out our newest sponsor, Double T British Kennels. Uh, get on the waiting list, put your name down, and they can do it all, right, Jeff? Yes, great dog. They have started dogs, puppies, everything, any kind of training you want. Great guys, take care of you. Check out Double T British Kennels on the internet at BritLabs.com. They've got a hell of a looking male i mean he's a fucking looks like a tank yes he is big dog i'm gonna tell you what now we had a we had a british lab Rhea. my dad had 25 years ago was an english field champion one of the best dogs we've ever had my great discipline uh wasn't a really big dog was a smaller dog but just done a hell of a job great dog great bloodlines uh both english and scottish bloodlines i'm a scottish bloodline too so there you go there you go Double T British Kennels. We are also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. Uh, you don't have to say nothing else. Ducks Unlimited. Everybody knows what they do. If it wasn't for Ducks Unlimited, we wouldn't have ducks to hunt now. If you are a waterfowl hunter, you need to be a member of Ducks Unlimited. They're, everything they contribute, 80% of all their resources they collect goes back into the ducks. And that's a hell of a lot of money to go back to the ducks. It is. They do great work. And if, like Jeff said, if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have ducks. So they are working on behalf of the duck numbers and the duck hunters. Ducks it, Unlimited. It will be uh, Ducks Unlimited banquet seasons coming along. Start September, they fire back up pretty heavy. I know the Illinois chapter right now has got a bourbon uh, lotto they're doing right now. You can check it up uh, online. Just search Illinois Ducks Unlimited bourbon, and they've got some kind of uh, deal they're doing right now. I don't have much more information. I know it sounds absolutely horrible, but that's true. There you go. We're also brought to you by Pacific Calls. They have got a brand new goose call hitting the market for Squad Fest, July 15th and 16th. Um, I should have a little teaser and a little bit more information on it later in a couple days, maybe later this week. Uh, I might have one on the way, Jeff. I can't I figure you I, I can neither do. confirm nor deny. But if you are at Squad Fest, July 15th and 16th, check them out. They've got the, it's the new BA call. Um, they're really, really excited about it. And uh, they've still got the best duck call on the market, the PCD. Single read, it's, it, it's phenomenal. It's all that I use whenever I duck hunt. And yeah, they've got duck calls, crane calls, goose calls. They got it all. Check them out, PacificCustomCalls.com. And uh, let them know the Big Honker Podcast boy sent you. We are also brought to you by Dive Bomb. Buy some decoys. It's, not too, it's actually perfect time. Start building that spread for this coming waterfowl season. That is at divebombindustries.com. We are also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells, maker of the most lethal shotgun load on the market, copper plate to bismuth. They're, they're trendsetters, Jeff. I was talking to somebody, and they said, if you want to see what the shotgun market is going to do in a year or two from now, just look at what Boss is doing this year because uh, everybody else seems to follow suit. Yeah, everybody's playing catch-up with them. It's like going back to this. It's like shooting lead in the 70s. From the first time I shot it, that's exactly what it's like. Boss, way ahead of the game. 
Great people, all-American-made product. Check them out at BossShotShells.com and get those shotgun shells delivered straight to your door. Start stocking up for this coming waterfowl season. We are brought to you by Shin Gear Waiters, and let me tell you what, you thought their waiters were great. Wait until you see all the new stuff that they've got coming out. They've got vests available for pre-order on July 14th. They've got the 60 series, which is basically an everyday series, and um, I'm forgetting the other one right now, but there are three products that are, oh, the over and under. That's what it is. You can wear it with your uh, waders. It's not super bulky, so you're not like the Michelin man out there. It's nice, slim fitting, uh, nice, slim fitting jacket. But that 60 series, I'm really looking forward to it. So they're taking pre-orders starting July 14th for all of their new products. And then they will start shipping out directly after that. But go to their website, shingear.com, and you can, uh, if you're wanting waders, you can get them to you. And then if you're wanting any of these new items, uh, check them out. A lot of cool stuff coming from them. And uh, also be on the lookout because I think they've got more stuff coming out later in August. So exciting times. That is at shingear.com. We are also brought to you by Gundog Outdoors, the great Mr. Alex Langbell up there in the great state of Montana. It looks like they're finally drying out. Um, he, he's got your four-legged hunting buddy taken care of. The quick release system, I think that every dog should be clipped into that as just an added safety precaution. And um, You can buy and see Alex at the uh, Alex will Squad be, Fest. Alex will definitely be at Squad Fest and um, the field trump kit. You never know when you never know when you're going to need it. Accidents happen every single day, even if it's just a deep cut on your hand. Uh, Alex has stuff in the field trauma kit that stop a bleeding, keep you warm. I mean, he he's put a, he was a first responder for his entire career, so this is this was designed with uh, kind of every different scenario in mind. He's also got stainless steel dog bowls and uh, check cords that he makes himself right there in Montana. So. Uh, go, go by and see Alex. Just a cool dude to visit with. Yeah, just talk to him. Just visit guy. with him. He's a he's a super cool guy. Uh, he's he's very very influential influential in uh, the waterfowl world. Done a lot of cool things. So go say hello to him. We are also brought to you by the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. Mr. Rebel Heron and Logan Pyatt put on a hell of a show. You can donate to their Patreon account, and you will have their entire library at your disposal. Um, great guys. They've become incredible friends throughout our couple years of knowing them and they're a lot of fun to listen to um the bourbon review it goes up on uh, it goes up on itunes so you don't have to have a uh, membership to that everybody can hear that but to go hear the more juicy stuff donate to their patreon and you get their full library so go check them out there we are also brought to you by alpha outdoor specialties maker of the stanfield stool no more buckets for me my hemorrhoids will be thanking me come January. It is, uh, they're going to go in our A-frames, custom fit, and they can build anything that you want. They're a fabricator. They're, they're a fabrication shop. And if you've got some, if you've got an idea of a chair or anything that you want built, get a hold of them, Alpha Outdoor Specialties, and they can take care of you. But uh, the Stanfield Stool, looking forward to it. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck, maker of the 2x4 blind, which is... Best blind on the market right now. And best spinners that are out there, waterproof, they take a dive unexpectedly, just shake them off, dry them out, and they're back up and spinning again. Uh, remotes all pair up nice and nicely and click them on and off. Click them on when the ducks are coming. Click them off if you got geese coming. Uh, makes it nice and easy. Dog kennels out of this Dog world. Dog kennel, five-star crash test rated. That's They got 
they beefed up their sizes. They uh, they they have kennels now that fit that fat ass dog of mine, Lou. And um, I don't even think twice whenever I throw them in there. Five star crash test rated. It's the way to go. That is that lucky duck. I really really like their kennels. We're also brought to you by Bangtail Whiskey, Mr. Brandon Bing. Mr. Brandon Bing. How's it going on over there? He's weathered the glass shortage, and he is shipping whiskey. It is a beautiful whiskey. I make my whiskey sour out of it. Whenever I get time, I had a couple over the 4th of July holiday, and they are fantastic. Go to bangtailwhiskey.com. Make sure you're 21 years or older, and um, you can get it. you can get it coming right to you. Also, he's got some new music out on iTunes, so check him out. Brandon Bing, great guy. Uh, we're also brought to you last, but no, not last, but not least. Uh, we're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. If your coffee sucks, it is not the duck. We start our morning every single day here the exact same way, and that is with a nice steamy hot cup of the Missouri Vo- Boat Ride Blend. And, um, you know, I put a little bit of high velocity in there. Mornings, I need a little pick-me-up, but they make a great coffee and a, and portion of all of their proceeds go into great organizations like Delta, Ducks Unlimited, all that good stuff. So they, they will be at Squad Fest also? They'll be at Squad Fest. You can get your coffee for the year right there. Go up, say hello. I don't know if the General Lee will be there. They'll get Scotty Goggle's uh, autograph because yeah. he will be there. Yep. Um, but Dirty Duck Coffee, it's how we start every single day. It's great tasting coffee, and uh, you will not be disappointed. So go up, check them out at Squad Fest, and get your coffee for the year. Last but not least, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. It is not too late. If you are wanting to get on the calendar for this coming waterfowl season, give us a holler, 940-658-3172. Talk to Jeff. Tell him what you're looking for. And You want to shoot a trophy spec? I can work in a small couple of guys on November. I don't care how small you are, just a couple smaller groups. November 7th through 9th and November 14th through 16th. I got room for a couple of twos and threes if you want to add on to groups. If you want to shoot trophy spec, those are primo, primo dates. We will also be doing filming at that time, I'm sure. Anyways, give us a holler at 940-658-3172 or look us up on the web at www.stanfieldhunting.com. We appreciate everybody that's tuning in. That is all of our sponsors. Please go check them out because they do play a very important role in the making of this podcast. And it would be nice if you would go check them out, whatever you're needing. I feel like we've got a great list of sponsors here. So... Pick your poison. Go check them out. God bless you. Have a great week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Jim Cruz. He is an attorney and an author. He has written a book called Amid the Cypress. He has taken a meticulous journal since the 70s, and uh, Amid the Cypress is just a collection of some of his highlights from his years of journaling. And he's got a second book out, which will be sometime this fall. He's hoping for November. So interesting guy. He just got back from South America with Ramsey Russell. Hopefully you enjoy this. Here he is, Jim Cruz, and go check out his book, Amid the Cypress.
Here we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. That's right. We got a little bit of rain today. So, it so was in the 70s all day today. Amazing. Not out of the drought, but it, we'll take it. And you know the weather service? You know when they predicted that rain? About two hours before it happened. Yep, about 9 o'clock this morning, they put a 50% chance of rain for the day. Yep. And it rained a bunch east of here. And southeast of Benjamin, north of the lodge, about four miles, they had six inches of rain tonight. Today. Mm, it's amazing. Man, we got on with us today. You probably don't have a whole lot of problem getting rain in uh, Canton, Mississippi, do you, Mr.? We got Mr. Jim oh, Cruz on. Author, Amid the Cypress. It's good to have you on, sir. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. We're excited to talk to you. Now, I'm, I'm assuming you just get rain all the time. Well, we, we go through periods... Uh, and periods of drought, I think our our droughts are less severe than y'all get out in Texas, but it's been bad around here. Um, we had a thunderstorm explosion in the middle of the night last night, so we've cooled off a little bit today. It's only about nine. It has been ridiculously hot here the last, but it's summertime in Texas too, so some of it is to be expected. When it gets over 108, it's hot. 102, 103, 104, that's just summertime. 108 to 115 is miserable. That's ridiculous. We did. I, I stepped outside. It was 98 degrees yesterday, and I'm, I felt like a new man. I felt like I could sit outside all night long. I didn't, but I felt like I could. <laughs> That's the price we pay for for having a nice place to live about nine months out of the year. Yes. That, that's exactly right. I got, in the, I, I got in the hot tub every night before I go to bed, kind of a ritual of mine. And and I've had I've keep knocking my temperature down. It's about eighty four in there now, where it's just nice, warm, comfortable. But it was ninety four degrees the other night at ten forty five at night. And I thought, man, what were my ancestors thinking? Who the hell moves to West Texas and thinks, you know what? This is a place to start trying to farm, ranch, hunt, whatever it is. Of all places in the world, the hottest, driest place in America. They were just tougher people back then. They didn't have air conditioning, so they didn't know how, how bad they had it. No, they had nothing. I mean, even like you look at the covered wagons and all that stuff, like it's just miserable all the way around. But so you recently got back from a trip with uh, Ramsey Russell. You, you were in Argentina, correct? That's that's right. That My wife and I went down there the the uh, at the end of June with Ramsey. Um we had had planned this trip actually for 2020 and that's when we all know what happened to the world so we we had deferred it and uh we had we had had selected a location that he calls rio salado which is way up in in uh, the northern part of the country it's all duck hunting well when you know we hit a year when things really dry there the ducks weren't what they should be. Ramsey called me about 10 days before the trip and said, look, we've got a problem. Our, our ducks are off. He said, my suggestion to you is one of two things. One, you put it off till next year. We'll let you just roll, roll your deposit in next year. And I said, well, that's, that's pretty good of you. And he said, the other is we've got another location that's a, a mixed bag hunt. So we'll be hunting not only ducks, but a lot of other stuff. If you want to come do that, like I've been trying to get you to do for 10 years, he, he's been after me to go to this, this place called La Paz. 
he said, why don't y'all think about doing that? And I said, I called my wife and we had about 30 minute discussion. And, you know, the end of the conversation was, we're not waiting another year to go. That's a year you don't get back. Right. And uh, so we just reconfigured. It didn't change our itinerary. And um, we went went down to La Paz, Argentina and had a absolute blowout of a hunt. It was everything anybody could want. Duck hunting was over the top. Dove hunting was over the top. Shooting wild decoy pigeons was absolutely great. <laughs> and Perdiz over pointing dogs was was unimaginable. It was just a great trip all the way around. Now, what kind of ducks were you shooting on this trip? We had uh, had four, let me see, five different species, if I remember correctly. We had the ring teal, Brazilian teal, speckled teal, and um, let me think what else. I'm leaving somebody out. Rosieville poacher. So we had, had four species that we shot, um, all, all beautiful, sporty ducks that, that work well and give you a lot of fun. Um, there's a, Argentina has a lot more species in just this area. And just like we have in the United States, this particular area we were hunting, those are the predominant birds. Some places you'll get a bigger variety, but you know, we, we had duck hunt was, was really, really good. Now the, the original place that you were supposed to go, um, it didn't have any ducks, but you said, so what was going to be on the uh, the the kill list for the original place that you were at? Was it going to be the same ducks? That would that list there would have expanded considerably. We we'd have we were looking for white faced whistling ducks, mm-hmm. black bellied whistling ducks, cinnamon teal, white cheek pintails, yellow bill pintails, um, possibly South American cone ducks. Um, as well as the ones I just named. So it's a, it's a big mix, a lot, of, and all very beautiful ducks. Now I got to ask, because I, I saw the video, what was it like riding a horse to your decoy spread? <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a funny story. My, uh, my wife passionately loves horseback riding and it's, it's not really my thing. And nor mine. When we, when we take, trips overseas to hunt she always wants to try to get a, a horseback ride in wherever wherever we go she tries to make that part of the mix so when we got down there she asked the outfitter if it would be possible to get a horseback ride in he said oh yeah how about tomorrow i'll let you we'll put you on one to, to go duck hunt and i said well now you got both things you love you can ride and you can hunt i said I want to get them to to drop me off someplace where I don't have to ride. Well, we get to the starting point that first morning, and there's there are, I guess there's six horses tied out, saddled up, ready to go. There's six hunters, <laughs> and uh, I start looking and thinking, uh, it looks like my program has changed a little bit. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I don't choose to ride, but I know how to ride. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I've found when you go on one of these trips, you don't guide the guide. You go go with the program. He knows his territory. 
so I I jump on this big white horse and start following my guide out across the marsh. And we're talking a marsh. I don't know how big it is. I will tell you that we rode for almost an hour to get where we were hunting. Holy cow. So it was it was really remote. There's no way you'd walk it on foot. Um, ATVs and Go Devils and Can-Ams and all that stuff just don't exist down there. You know, so horseback was the only way to go. And I, I got to tell you, uh, I found it thoroughly enjoyable. It, it was it was fun because as I, as I told my wife when she asked me later how I liked it, I said, this horse didn't have an ounce of crazy in him. He was <laughs> as steady as a bulldozer. And um, it was it was real nice coming out because you don't you didn't have to carry anything. Right. I had a, a real heavy strap of ducks <clears throat> and we just slung them over the over the front of the saddle. So half of them were hanging on one side and half on the other. And uh, so I, I call that horseback ride duck hunt a, a major success. Could could you hear anybody else even hunting anywhere close to where y'all were? There was there was one other group in our party within hearing distance. You could hear faint little pop pops every now and then, um, but not so much that you could even tell that they were having a good hunt. The the thing you find with Argentina generally is that the only hunters you'll, you'll see there usually are going to be the people that are on the airplane with you going down there. It's not like the U.S. where there's a, a big uh, wing shooting and waterfowling culture. Yeah, that's the way it is. I flew to Saskatoon one time to go up there. And I called it Waterfell One is what it was because every person between Denver and Saskatoon almost on the plane was a waterfowl hunter that was yeah. going up there to hunt. <clears throat> Do you feel like you're in a time warp when you go to Argentina and hunt, like you're going back in the 40s or 50s here in America? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I and even today to a large degree, um, but I'll, I'll say the, the first time I went down, which was in the in the late nineties, it was really a time warp. And you see, you know, nineteen forties and fifties cars everywhere you went. And of course it wasn't the internet, cell service was just really becoming widespread. And I remember uh, the lodge we were staying still had a rotary dial phone. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, even today in a they do a lot of cooking over wood-fired stoves, you know, in, in places that are, are, are pretty much modernized, but they'll still use that, that traditional wood-fired stove to cook over. See, I, I find a lot, that... A lot of buildings there are, are, you know, back from the mid-1900s or even older, into the 1800s. So, yeah, big-time war. I, f I find that so fascinating. And you know, if you took today's, if you took a kid under the age of 20 years old and you put him for a room and you put a rotary phone on there, in there, and you told him to call for help, them some bitches have to run down the street screaming because they wouldn't ever figure out how to use a phone. They'd be sliding <laughs> and figuring out how to unlock it. That's the most, because <clears throat> yesterday, my, my son, who's going to be four this weekend, he was running Alexa with no problem. It was the most seriously fat. He was hitting back. He was swiping up. I don't even know how to use Alexa. I didn't know you could do that on Alexa. 
Because, yeah, there's like a touch screen. I we didn't know a, we, that. We have a touch screen. And, like, you can see Alexa pull up the front door, and it it's connected to the Ring Video doorbells we have. But he was perfectly executing on on our Alexa machine. I bet you your but, eight-year-old but, couldn't figure out how to dial a phone. No, no, no. But that's what I was going to say. You put a rotary phone in front of him, good luck. He's not <laughs> calling anybody. Well, I'll tell you a related story to that that, that dates as of yesterday. A good... Old lifelong friend of mine is in Argentina this week. He's with down there with his 20-year-old son, and they're hunting the same place, the same people that we were with. And the way they they transport the bird boys around is in a, I don't know what year, make, or model uh, this ambulance is, but it's an, it's an ancient ambulance probably from the 1960s that they've repurposed into the bird boy car. (laughs) And that's how they transport these guys around. Well, it's a, it's a stick shift. Uh. And my my friend's son got to be buddies with, with the head guide. And somehow they, he, he told him he wanted to, to drive the ambulance one day or yesterday. And the guy said, sure, sure. Come on, get in and, and you can take him for a spin. Well, it's a stick shift. Uh-huh. So this 20 year old kid does not know how to drive a stick shift. Now, mind you, this, this guy, he's, he's a, his, his dad comes from a farming family in Arkansas. These, these aren't city slicker folks. <laughs> this boy had to learn how to drive a stick shift vehicle in Spanish. That's how, <laughs> how far technology has come. You, you, but he, he managed after, you know, same way we all learned how to drive yeah, a stick with a lot of bucks and times. starts and yeah. restarts, eventually got it. I'm going to yeah. bet you a $100 bill right now, Jim, that you've drove a truck that was a three on the tree. Absolutely. Yep. 19... Um, 66 Jeep Wagoneer was my three on the tree truck. I had a seven. My dad, my dad bought it from a, I've forgotten the store where he got it, but he paid $600 for it. And this was, this was a while ago, of course, but it was a three on the tree. Eight miles to the gallon. (laughs) It was geared, geared really low and would go through anything. But that, that was my first one. 300 tree. I had a 72 Ford. I would give anything for that truck. I paid $300 for it. Andy, have you ever <laughs> have you ever drove a three on the tree? No, but I can drive a stick. Well, a stick and a three on the tree are different, but you could figure it out. I would love to have me an old pickup with a three on the tree just because they were fun to drive. And you don't, you well, know. I like, so explain, what is three on the tree? It's, it's we, on have the, a lot, we have you, a lot of young listeners. Okay. Well, y'all don't even know because every vehicle I own now has got a push button for right. to get it into gear on the <laughs> dashboard now where you used to have to pull your vehicle down. Yep. Like push it, put it in drive. That was what you actually shift with. And if you pushed it in and down to you, it was first. Mm-hmm. If you push it out and up, it's second. Okay. And third is, no, 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 up and down, up and down. Yeah. Reverse was was down and to me, wasn't it, Jim? I'm forgetting how reverse down was. Down and to you. No, no. Up and to you is reverse. Up and to you is reverse. That's right. It's first, second, third, and then up and there was reverse. But that was yeah. a common it's, thing. Everybody drove and, and you it's know. basically it, like a, a three on the floor. Yes. Okay. Where you down and to you is first and then you go up and to the right or up right up for a second 
if you think of that being sideways and mounted on the steering column, that's what a three-on-the-tree <laughs> yeah. transmission yeah. is. That's how it shifts. And then we had an old dune buggy that was a Volkswagen transmission, and, and reverse was down, push it down, and two, you kind of, it was a reverse on it, and then it was one, two, three, just that, too. I'm glad they've simplified things. You kids are you kids have no fun. Y'all's vehicles are no fun. Kid, kids today are screwed. They don't know about riding around buying five dollars worth of gas. We can't. That's that's a gallon. That, that, that gets you thirteen yeah, miles. You're not going very far nowadays. <laughs> but y'all's just we. How old are you, Jim? Fifties. I'm fifty eight. Fifty eight. Grew up. We grew up in the best time in this country, where where you could. How many times did you grow up where you, where if you got pulled over by a cop and you were drinking a beer, he said, "You boys pour that beer out." And you, and you don't be drinking anymore. That's the life we lived. It was just a different world then. You drove up and down the street. You chased girls. You, If you touched a girl on her boob, you weren't going to go to jail for sexual harassment. You might get slapped. I mean, just life is so much better when we grew up than it is today. It wouldn't even be fun to be a teenager these days. You just pour that beer out and then go buy another one after the <laughs> officer leaves. Exactly, and he didn't care. He just didn't want to pull you over again. <laughs> So tell us about your book. I've read a little bit on your book. You took a journal of your entire life of hunting and condensed it into a book, correct? Well, it's it's kind of, sort of. It's a little bit of a story, but I'll tell it to y'all. Um, when I was, let's see, I, when I was about 12 years old, I became friends with a guy. And uh, his name is Alan Hughes. His dad's the guy that painted these pictures behind me on the wall. But uh, we got to be friends through school and all that and started hunting and fishing together. And his, his father would take us hunting all the time. And he was a, he's a great, talented man who I admired with all my heart. And um, one of the things that, that Dr. Hughes always did was kept a journal of his hunting and fishing experiences and I thought that was cool he'd let us read it and it was real interesting so I I started keeping one of my own in 1976 and I have every hunt I have made from then to the last shot I fired in Argentina back in June recorded written wow. down wow. and um, so I lost about a year and a half while I was in college, understandably, where I just just neglected it. But but uh, other than that, I have have all my trips. You know, whether it's duck hunting, turkey hunting, dove hunting, whatever, all of it's written down. Some of it's just we went and we shot ten, and it was a pretty day. Some of them are long and detailed, just depending on on. Uh, what my impressions were of the day. But anyway, um, I, I started writing some of my more memorable hunts into a story form instead of just a personal journal. And over time, I, had, I accumulated, uh, I, I've forgotten how many chapters I can look at it and tell you in a minute, but I accumulated 40 or 50 stories and all of a sudden realized that I basically had a book written. And what I needed to do was turn that stack of stories and those, those electronic files into a book. And um, 
I realized that, you know, books don't write themselves, books don't publish themselves. You have to take some initiative to do that, which, you know, over a long period of time um, came together and actually actually did evolve into my book Amid the Cypress. And, and right now, especially with technology the way that it is, there's no, there has not been an easier time to publish a book or, you know, get on the radio. I mean, you can just start a podcast and then all of a sudden you're on a radio. So that's right. I mean, it, it, the way to publish a book, like it's, it's never been, and I'm sure it was difficult, but I mean, you don't need a publisher like you needed 50 years ago. You can just do it yourself. You can, you can do the, you, you have to have the right abilities to, to do it or, or hire them out. But, um, you know, the, the most difficult part, of course, is, is writing the actual text. Sure. But, um, you know, I was, a, I was a college English major, so I, I can I have a decent grasp of the English language. My wife was a college uh, English slash journalism major. So we had the editing ability to do that part. Um, the next step in the process, once you have it into an electric electronic format, is hire a designer to actually design cover to cover, mm -hmm. basically. The outside cover, the inside cover, lay out all the pages, lay out the pictures. Mine's got my book has a lot of uh, of our hunting pictures in it. And uh, as I've told some of my my friends, my readers, I put the pictures in for people who can't read. <laughs> but you, you get that done. Once you have have that design put together, um, there are a number of publishing houses that are in the business of printing a book. And you can email them. Your, your designer will put it in a format that a publishing house can then turn around and turn it into a book. Right now and, with, with your stories, um, you said you put pictures in it. Were you able to, to find the picture that was associated with the story that you were telling in the book and then kind of have it that way? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, what I've also done, um, in addition to, to writing everything down is I think, I think, Especially since my wife and I married, I think we've got a picture of every duck and goose and turkey and other things that we've shot ever. Right. Or it seems that way. But we have we have a lot of lot of pictures back you know, back from the old film days and then of course with digital photography that's taken over in the last fifteen years, all of it digital. Um, but I have I have photos in there that are from when I was a kid. Which of course I just took the the film shot and made a real good uh, image of it with my iPhone and that digital technology being where it is today, you can you can recreate them pretty easily. So you you've got stuff from the nineteen seventies when you were uh, yeah in, in there. Have you noticed the 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 temperatures? Is it just my imagination? It was colder when we were kids. When you look back in your journals, was the days cold like I think they were, or was it just about like now and we just think it was colder all the time? Do we I, I really think we just think it was colder, and, and part of that is because 
we didn't have the good clothes that we have no, now. No, we sure. don't. Right. Um, you know, I, 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 I know my first several sets of waders were the old Hodgman Wade Wells that were basically all rubber. <laughs> and those things, they were really tough, but they were also really cold. And I, I can remember wearing two sets of long johns as standard procedure on, on cold days. And a lot of our, our duck hunting is waiting and, and it'll often be in waist deep water. So you, you get a pretty good handle on what you need to, to stay warm. But, um, where we are, we don't freeze over that much. And, uh, you know, we had icy times then. We've had icy times fairly recently. We didn't we didn't freeze over any last year, but um, you know, I don't I don't really think that it's gotten noticeably different. So I didn't when I read Nash Buckingham, he'll he'll talk about the days of the big fronts, which we have big fronts now. Yeah. But he also talks about a lot of times where they'd have a really warm November, and would talk oh, yeah. about then they'd get a cold front and it would come down and. And so, it just as we get older, it's kind of like a dead dog. A dead dog is gets better every year. He's dead, a lot better than he was when he was alive. And, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And in your equipment, you yeah, talked you talked about the equipment. If the Indians would have had bow and arrows like we have today, we'd all be speaking Comanche still today. That we we'd have never won that yeah. war. So they'd have, they'd have won in a heartbeat, There's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, that that's brings up a point that I've, I've found over and over with my journals is I'll be thinking about some topic or thinking about a hunt we made or a season we had, you know, 20 or 25 years ago. And, and we'll be saying it went this way or it went that way or we did this or we did that. I'll go back and look at what I wrote. <laughs> and it's funny how a lot of times what you remember has is so different from what actually happened yes 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 you know i'll have in i'll have in my mind you know we killed two dozen greenheads and finished out the limit with 12 drake gadwall and i'll go back and look and realize that yeah we had 19 mallards and the rest were (laughs) mix of gadwalls and teal or whatever it was but it's your 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 memory will play tricks on you sometimes. Yeah, your your mind makes things either the the good days aren't aren't near as good as we remember, and no. the bad days probably aren't near as bad as what we want to think them to be either. I mean, well, on no, most I, days. Th- I think the bad days get less bad. As really? We, yeah, because last year for us was a really really tough season. So once about mid December got here, it was flush the toilet. It was hard. Um, hot weather. No snow up north, stale birds. But like here I am, it's it's you know, the end of July and I'm thinking back on some of the days where like I literally wanted to pull my hair out and I'm like, it wasn't that bad. But I don't know if my mind is kinda like gearing up because we're we're getting ready to embark on another season here pretty quick. So I don't know if it's like self preservation mode where it was just like it wasn't that bad. Quit being a baby and, and just get ready to go this year, but I don't. I, th- I think the bad days become less bad as time goes on. But you're exactly right. I think yeah. back on some of the tough day or some of the great days that I've had, and the pictures don't necessarily agree with what I had in my mind. 
Yeah. I think, uh, you know, speaking directly to that point, last winter, last between Christmas and New Year, um, I have my younger son is a pilot in the Air Force and he doesn't get a lot of time to come home and to hunt, but he, he managed to set it up where he was home last year, the week between Christmas and New Year's, which we always make a long hunt, you know, that lasts about two weeks, go every day. And he was, he had a, had a whole week set to do that. And we were excited because like I say, he doesn't, doesn't get home often. And, um, that was the week that we had, um, 83 to 85 degree days right, y'all yeah. had the same thing your weather just gets there before ours does mm-hmm. and uh you know couldn't have, couldn't have been worse conditions for us only we did have sunshine which is good but but it was hot and it was still and everything was against us but you know it was duck season when when it's duck season we're not working we hunt mm-hmm. and with him home i felt a lot more pressure to make it fun and memorable and we worked hard at it and we killed a few ducks and a few deer and finally the the very last morning he was there the weather hadn't improved but we managed to pull a rabbit out of a hat and had a really good duck hunt and you know i think back now sitting here in the heat of july and what i really take away from all that is we had a great time mm-hmm. and that's what i Remember, if you have to ask me to sum it up, we had a great time. Yeah, it was it was the slowest part of the season for me, but it was it was a, a special time. I, I think COVID done that to a bunch of us because I think a lot of people realize that we took our freedom for for granted a lot of days. And there in Texas, we weren't locked up but about six weeks, but hell, some places are still locked up almost. And the people that got out after those six weeks, they they make the most of when they're out. And it's it's almost as important now that you get out and go do what you enjoy to do besides being at home. Could you imagine if COVID would hit us during hunting season and they told us we couldn't hunt for all those times? Oh boy! I mean, we'd have starved oh, it's to death. Terrible. I have a uh, I have a long distance friend who who bought my book, and this this guy's from Australia, and I don't know if y'all yep. aware of, but Australia has a a pretty big duck hunting culture. And so this guy and I have stayed in touch the last couple of years, just about how's your season going, all that. Because our our season, our winter is their summer, and Correct. vice versa. So his duck, his duck season just ended, but they missed their season in twenty twenty, and I think also twenty one, because they were they were so locked down down there, they couldn't leave their homes unless they had special permission. It was yeah. terrible. We do, you know, it definitely makes you aware of your freedom. I'd like to know what their duck numbers is. I'd like to know with nobody hunting down there for two years, two years, if their duck numbers stayed close to the same or if they just skyrocketed up. Because I think mortality rate on a mallard is 15% of all mallards die every year, whether it's hunting, disease, whatever it is. And I'd like to know what the duck numbers in Australia were, if it changed much know. over that. I don't I don't know the answer to that question. I'll ask it when I when I talk to my friend down there next. But I, I do know he personally had a good season this past season. He didn't he didn't say that you know the skies were black with ducks, but he he said he had a good season. 
We have a lot of Australian listeners, and so hopefully one of them would call in, and I'd like to get one of them on the podcast again and talk about well, that. Well, I mean, because we're kind of a, of the thinking that Mother Nature balances itself herself out, so if you're not hunting, something else, predators or disease or whatever is going to kind of keep it fairly balanced. It's not going to let it get too far one way. Well, that's, you know, that's where I've always, there's, of course, there's different schools of thought on that point. And I've always read that hunting for ducks and doves, especially, really does not have much of an impact on overall populations. That's, yeah. you know, there's other people that think otherwise. I, I know that. Um, and that's scientists, scientists debate that a lot. But uh, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't know if. Be a sure answer. Well, there, there's a there's a bird that can prove it, and that's the pigeon. If pigeons did not die at a high mortality rate, you couldn't go to a big city without getting shit on. There'd be ten million of them everywhere you look, and their and their numbers their numbers stay relatively the same all the time. Right. And so I don't, you don't think look up that and hunting, say, man, there's a lot of pigeons here. Today. No, that, I mean I think that the numbers stay pretty close to the same through disease, varmints, you know hungry people that do eat squab, whatever it is, and people that shoot them, but their numbers don't fluctuate much. How many pigeons did you shoot when you were down there? It, we had, uh, I shot a lot um, throughout the week, but we had we had one day that was dedicated pigeon hunt. It was, it was an all-day shoot, and you go out in the morning for a, I always call them a session. You'd have a morning hunt and an afternoon hunt. Um, and the, the limit on pigeons, which is, is a guide imposed thing. There's no national limit on them, right. but they just, they put a, a limit on them just to, to, uh, kind of keep, keep their hunting quality up. Um, they, they let you shoot 40 in the morning and 40 in the afternoon. And my wife, Allison is her name. Allison and I shot together that morning, that afternoon, we killed 80 that morning, 80 that afternoon. Wow. And, uh, we were, we were really focused on pigeons. They're, they're, they're wary. And a lot, it's a lot like dry land duck hunting. You're in a blind, you got decoys out front. Um, this particular field was a huge cut milo field and, uh, it, it was full of doves and parakeets, which you can also shoot it if you want to. And we made the deal between ourselves. We wanted pigeons only. If you start banging at the doves, you're going to run the pigeons out a lot of times. So we let just thousands of doves go by to fill out on pigeons. Um, some of the guys in our group, they, were, they weren't as selective, so they got a, a bigger mix. But everybody got to pull the trigger as much as they wanted. How, how many? How many? How many? Who's the better shot? Your wife or you? Put you on the spot there. She'd probably say I'm the better shot. How about I put it that way? That's a good safe <laughs> answer. Um, how many shells did you shoot when to, to shoot eighty pigeons in a day? How many shells did you go through? I have to go back and look. Um, I think. Let's see. I believe I shot about. Six boxes, seven boxes, something like that. That's better than the average. Yeah, it, it, it was. It's that's a fun hunt. That's that's super solid quality. In the state of Texas, the average dove hunter to kill a limit of dove fifteen 
shoots five shells per bird. So he's going to shoot three boxes of shells to shoot a limit of 15 dove. Well, I've told a lot of people, you know, just chit-chatting around the field, you know, after dove hunt that, in my opinion, if you're killing one out of three on a dove hunt, you're going to be in about the top 5% of the field of the shooters. Right. And, you know, that, that conversation usually comes up after you've had a, had an exceptionally bad day and maybe <laughs> shot three boxes to kill your 15 doves or, or more. No. That's what I shoot now is one for, I would shoot three boxes to shoot a limit. Now I used to be able to shoot a limited dove in a box of shells, but I used to be a really yeah. good shot and I can't see no more now. I had a, I had a dove hunt last year, same field the, on this particular Saturday. I was in a, in a, in a location that I like we've hunted this field for years. And, uh, I got in there, I killed a shot at 16 doves and I killed 15. Um, some of them required more than one shot. I won't say I, I killed 16, 15 shots, but, right. it, but I, I was hot and I was in a good place. The next weekend I set up in the same field on the same telephone pole and killed a limit of 15 again, but that time it took me 82 shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know what happened there. The, the law of averages is what happened. Today's people got, I, I think that's right. I think I, I must've gotten cocky and, and decided there was nothing to it. And I got my hat handed to me. Today's shooters got an advantage over back in the day when we hunted too, because they, use, they can use the lucky duck spinners now. Hell, you're shooting the dove that are decoying right into you. Before, we were just shooting one flying back and forth. Now you're decoying them in. And I'm telling you, for the people that dove hunt, and if you don't shoot them over spinners, you're losing out. It's like duck hunting. I mean, they'll decoy to these things, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, they'll they'll work to those. That makes them fly differently. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. When those things first came out, I remember putting one out in the dove field kind of as a novelty. (laughs) And... uh, those doves would come to it, and then instead of keeping that straight line like they normally do, they just all of a sudden fold up and flutter down. And you know, I wasn't ready for that. I was I was swinging on, and all of a sudden he wasn't in in, in my swing anymore. He's falling before I could get a shot, and I had to kind of recalibrate my whole shooting philosophy to to get used <laughs> to him coming to the spinning wings. Our, our dove hunters today show up with spreads now. I mean, yeah, they show crazy. up. They'll have four or five spinners. They'll have, they'll have decoys, two or three dozen decoys. Regular, regular dove on a line. I've had guys show up with a trailer one time that had a whole spread. He had a he had a like an A-frame blind before there was A-frame blinds, and he had trees and stuff on it, and he had all kinds of snap-on doves and shit. He just built him an island out in the middle of a wheat field, and it looked like a damn tree row right there, and – he had, but but he done it. His his grandson was allergic to fire ants, so he would bring that for him to set, so he wouldn't get bit by a fire ant. Which we didn't at that time. We didn't have fire ants out here, but he had a whole whole setup there. His old mobile dove stand. I bet when he was driving down the road, people thought, "What in the hell is that in the back of that truck?" Yeah, people people have gotten made dove hunting more complicated than it has to be. I think so. I'm still kind of old school with that. I I go watch a field and look for a, a flyway and that's where I tend to try to set up. I look for and, shade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In Texas. I'm still a minimal equipment guy. Yeah. I'm, I look for shade. 
You know, I'm looking yeah, for the shade, cool, for sure. shade, and if it's in the wind where you get a breeze, that's where I'm setting up at. If I shoot two birds or I yeah. shoot 15 birds, as long as I'm in the shade and there's some breeze, I'm happy. We're going to be comfortable regardless. Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned fire ants in the in the dove field. When I was growing up, we did not have fire ants in the Mississippi Delta. Now, I had a way up in the northwest corner of Mississippi, right close to the Mississippi River, and my when my wife and I first started dating, um, which would have been back in 1988, I took her on a dove hunt. That was our, our first date was a dove hunt. Look at there. I started killing doves and, and dropping them on the ground as, as we pick them up. And she said, why are you leaving them on the ground? And I said, why not? She said, the fire ants are going to get them. Cause she, she lived a, a 150 miles South of there and they were invading from the South. So, the more southern part of Mississippi already had fire ants. Well, we didn't have them up there in the northern part where, where I was. Of course, they're everywhere now. Right. But, uh, you know, now you can't leave a dove on the ground or 10 minutes later, it's going to be covered with those dang ants. You got to put them in your, in your bag or your bucket. And uh, it leads me to yet another story about how I first met fire ants. This was on a, on a goose hunt back in the... Uh, I guess the mid-80s, we used to go down to Texas, southwest of Houston <laughs> to hunt snow geese. Horrible you know, fire it's, it's, just, it's just unthinkable now. No, everybody goes to Arkansas to hunt them now, but back then we didn't have any geese in Arkansas, not to speak of. But we went out and set a white spread out one day and um, got all set up in the dark and got up on the on the rice levee where we were going to lay there waiting wait to decoy the geese in and it, it was it was early still still dark and i was tired i think we we might have had kind of a late night the night before i laid back on that rice levee and planted my head right in a fire ant nest Ooh, no. of, course, of course we all know what happens when you when you disturb a fire ant nest yeah. i had 500 angry fire ants crawling in my hair oh. at 5 30 in the morning and uh, I didn't know what it was. I thought, you know, but um, we got that figured down. out. I had sound a lot of welts. Yeah, because they'll leave like a little pimple whenever they bite, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That, that, that was my introduction to fire ants. I think about that a lot. I've heard so many people tell stories. Uh, the same stuff, a dry fit. They, they find they, they're wet and they find a dry spot down at Eagle right. Lake to hunt right. and they lay down and shit and they find out the reason dry. It's the only place where, that's where the fire ants are at. And um, when I first got in hunting business, that was my biggest competition in North Texas was to get people to come from the hill. If anybody would ever come up here and hunt dark geese, they would never go back to the coast again. And and that's kind of our big selling point was, but back then there was yeah. just millions. And I, I'm glad I got to go to Eagle Lake in its heydays in the early 80s and see what it was really like because it was amazing. So how far do you live from Memphis then? I'm a I'm hundred and, and uh, 70 miles south of Memphis. Okay, when you that so you, you said northwest Mississippi because Tunica's right. Yeah. What Tunica's what fifty miles south of Memphis maybe. Thirty six. Thirty six. That is that's a cool country I, back in there. I uh, I grew up in Memphis till I was eighteen. That's where I live, and uh, so that's that's what landed me up in that part of the world to, to hunt and where we still hunt. That is a that is a cool town, but. I don't like to be there after dark. 
I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> it's not recommended. Now. Hell no. It's dangerous <laughs> as shit there. I'm, I'm ugh. probably yeah, New Orleans does not scare me after dark. Whenever they say New Orleans is getting really bad, Murder capital of the Me- Memphis, Tennessee is it, it should scare you. It yeah. That's what everybody says. You. I have, well, I have a, a real good, um, husband and wife couple front, their dear friends of ours. They were in the, in the French quarter, weekend before last they just went down there to to eat and drink and have a good time and uh they left their left the car outside the hotel in the middle of the night they hear gunfire whoa and i mean lots of gunshots they wake up and kind of you know start themselves and say did y'all hear did you hear shooting yeah i heard shooting they kind of hunkered down well they went out the next morning and they they have a drive a little mercedes suv their Mercedes had four bullet holes in it. It has been caught in a crossfire of a gang war, gang shooting in the French Quarter. That you know, shit yeah. like that won't take long, and people will quit going down there. And yeah. it's a shame and that that's they, they don't start cracking down. Yeah, on they're going to have to because you start running off the tourist people. And that's where the money is. Um, I, yeah. I like it down there. Me and Michelle stay at the Roosevelt, which is a really cool old hotel down there, and. I like it, and I, we try to go once a year. But it is—it's really getting—it's getting dangerous. But we, I won't go to Memphis no more. Last time we went through Memphis, we were coming back from Nashville, and we went all the way to Tunic and stayed the night. Because I told her, I said, "I'm not." It, it was dark already. I said, "I am not getting off an exit in Memphis, Tennessee at dark." And people that no, people no, people that listen to this haven't been there thought, "Oh, that's crazy bullshit." <laughs> when you go into Memphis after dark, you're taking a big chance anywhere you go. There's a lot of nice parts of, of town, but there's a lot of, not, of parts of that town you don't want to be in. That's a fact. You don't want to take the wrong turn is what you don't want to do. And I don't know my no. way around no. enough that I won't do that. You know, I'm so jealous of you because I I kind of half-ass take journals. So, like, I start out, I have the best intentions. Every year I'm going to document everything. And then tough hunting, or and now I've got a family, I've got two kids, so... When I finally get home, and, you know, I do it seven days a week, but right. I'm just like, oh, God. Today's hunt sucked anyway. Like, why the hell would I need it? But it would yeah, be, why bother? Right. It, but it would be so fun to look back on. And I've been guiding since I was 16, so, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 20 years of guiding. I cannot tell you how, how cool it would be to look back. Like, just like you said, just to settle a debate, like, oh, no, you've got it this way in your head. Well, let me go, let me go check the archive. But I'm, I'm so jealous of you that you actually did it and stuck to it and were able to produce a book that was all off of just your experiences out in the woods. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've, I found it is a, a little bit of a job to keep yeah, it. Right. What, I've, what I've found, what I do is just take the nowadays just take the little notes app on my cell phone mm-hmm. and I can just jot down the basic details of the day. And I may put myself a reminder of something particular that happened. And then if I come back three weeks later or whatever, and want to, when it's time to r- really write it out, if I look at that, it comes right back to me like it was the day it happened. Right. And, but if I don't do that, then it's gone. You know, if I don't if I don't have those notes, it, it would be gone. You yeah. know, you just remember the bits and pieces. Well, and I mean, you know, just it, it's 
the pictures are great and all that stuff, but like you said, you kind of miss those those details, those small little yeah. things that happened on the hunt. And I don't know. I, I maybe this maybe this will be the year that I uh, that I document every single day uh, out in the field. But you know, we'll see. Well, the good thing about it is there's no you know there's no recipe to it. It's it's all on what you want to put down and how you want to write it down. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect grammar. It doesn't have to be sentences. It doesn't, it can be whatever you want to put it down. A lot of people just put who they were with. Um, I'll tell you about a friend of mine. He's got a really, really nice duck place in the Mississippi Delta. He hunts every day of the season and he, he invites a lot of guests in. He keeps a, a guest book that he had it printed up and it's, you know, it has little categories and it'll say you know, the date, the weather, name of the guests, the dogs that hunted, the guns used, all that. And he fills that out with his guests after each hunt. And then he, he takes a picture on his cell phone and he prints it off and pops it in that album after each hunt. That's his ritual. And he, it's, it's one of the coolest records I've ever seen of, of uh, anybody memorializing their hunt. Oh, that's very cool. Um, that's a cool way of doing it too. To, uh, yeah, we, we've got a new app company, Hunt Proof, that's coming on board with us in that, August. In, in, in <clears throat> mid August, we're going to do their grand. We're, their, their big launch is going to be on the podcast. But people will, that they'll have that app. The, there's no excuses not to have a detailed uh, journal for years down the road because of the digital age, where where you had to write it down and stuff. Yeah. Well, it's simple to write down everything you have now, and it'll be stored memory forever. And I think that a hundred years, it it's going to yes. be awesome for people 50 years down the road to look back at all the stuff, the stored data they have. I mean, how many times do you look back on Facebook at pictures of, of memories of all the time? And, and, and at least that's, that's one thing Facebook's been good about it's is at least the memories that we have. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you this, y'all is, is, uh, is running a guiding business and me being deeply involved in a couple of hunting clubs is, having those records and those memories really helps you manage how you do things. Mm -hmm. You know, you, 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 you have a record of what you did that worked, whether it's maintaining a water level or, or planting a food source or harvesting a food source or, you know, the days you hunted particular areas or how much you hunted them or how little and how that impacted the quality of your hunts. Uh, gives you gives you a lot of information that you can come back to and figure out what you did right, what you did wrong, mm -hmm. what was out of your control, um, what you thought would work that didn't work. You know, just all kinds of different stuff you can can use. It that's for. that's one of the things about this app that Jeff was telling you about, Hunt Proof, and they're um, they're coming on board with us mid August. But it it when you log something the weather will also log with that hunt. So you can, oh, yeah. you can kind of see like, okay, I hunted this day, this was the weather. And it will also forecast um, based off of their data, what would be a, a good hunt in the next two weeks of weather that they have. So the barometric pressure, yeah. the temperature yeah. fronts that are coming in. So there's a lot of cool things coming with technology, but I, I really like the, uh, the, the pen and the paper and just going back and having a yeah. book that you can pass down to your kids 
like like you well, that's, have. That's like that's going to be something great that you can hand off to your children. I I got an attorney. Yeah, well, it's an, got it's got it's got all, you know an awful lot of their lives in it. Yeah, they they've been been hunting with with us since they were little bitty kids, too too small to shoot a gun, and all all that is in there. That that is awesome stuff right there. I got an attorney question for you. Uh oh. All right. The Mississippi River is a federal waterway, right? Is that correct. correct? This is the thing that I'm really worried about in the future with hunting. I think as liberal as our federal government is getting, that they're going to knock off all hunting on all federal land. I just It's coming down the road. It may be 10 years, it may be 50 years, but eventually this is going to happen where they're going to do away with all hunting on federal lands. What Are y'all concerned, people that have hunt clubs along the Mississippi River, is any of this come up where y'all are – is something that do you see this as being a an issue later on in life? I can see it as being an eventual issue. I don't I don't see it as being an imminent threat. Right. So there's nothing been a, there's been a, a huge amount of litigation lawsuits over uh, riparian rights, the the ability of the public to hunt not not only the Mississippi, but you know, lots of river systems and, you know, where you can hunt, whether it's to the high bank, low bank, high tide line, low tide line, uh, all kinds of court decisions all over the board on that. It's a it's a it's a attorney, I guess as an attorney it could be either a, a nightmare or a godsend, depending on which side you're on of it. But it's a it's a very tangled up legal problem and issue. See, in Texas, I don't think we have any waterways that are federal. I'm sure there probably are some. I don't know what they are. Up in our area, there's not. But, but, but everything I know is state-owned. But the Mississippi River, I think, was a, is a federal waterway. And I didn't know what states' rights went into that and, and if there are any states' rights. Because I'm sure the state of Mississippi is like Texas – the hunters are going to have the rights to hunt and stuff. But if the federal government oh, yeah. comes we, in. We, we have a constitutional right to right. hunt in Mississippi. Right. And uh, and I'm sure Texas is the same way. Politically, we tend to fall in the same, right. in the same line. But, but, you know, we can just, we can only hope and pray that such a, a movement doesn't take place. And that I think that's why you got to, you know, you choose your cause, but whether it's the NRA, whether it's Safari Club, whether it's Delta Waterfowl, whether it's DU, whatever advocacy groups you think are worthy of your support, you need to support them. Yeah. California is going to be the litmus test for the whole country because they're going to be the first one that's going to try to cut hunting out. Yeah, and they look, I, I'll tell you about that. My uh, Or some things about that. My, I mentioned my, my son is, a, is in the Air Force. He's stationed in California. And uh, we have made, how many? We made two waterfowling trips out there and two turkey hunting trips out there. To, you know, if he can't come to us, we go to him. And, you know, California, to buy ammunition, you have to pass a background check. You can't just go to Walmart Jeez. and buy shotgun shells. Um, they also require that you use i've forgotten i think the bullet rifle bullets have to be copper copper that's They're right yep. i think they make them out of copper 
for the condors. Uh, yeah, but you know, in talking to the guys that we've hunted with in California, they they just feel under siege that you know their state legislature and is trying to do everything they can to make hunting difficult and inaccessible so that people won't want to do it. And, uh, and California is a, is a great hunting state. They have, yeah. have a lot of really, really good waterfowl and turkey and big game, all that. Yeah, it's one of our, our biggest, I think it's our second biggest state behind Texas and downloads is California. And we what? hunt a lot of California people here, but they will. Don't they lead the U.S. in duck kills? No, but I think I think they're up. I think I think I think it's Arkansas still. Is it? It's Arkansas or Texas. Louisiana is number one. Louisiana is number one. I believe. California is is historically way up there. It's up there. I mean, it's top five. Am I not right? Am I not mistaken? Top five. Yeah. In duck numbers, they have. It's it's got a. Yeah, I've really learned this from visiting out there. It's got a rich waterfowl and heritage. Yes. You know, Northern California particularly has a rich culture of waterfowl and absolutely top-notch ducks and geese. We had a guy was telling me that hunted with me last year. They have a hunt club somewhere outside of L.A., 50 miles. And, you know, you get outside of L.A., 50 miles, you can be in the mountains, the desert, or wherever it is. But they were in a hunting yeah. area. And he said they were having problem with homeless people being in their damn blinds. Oh, Wow. <laughs> They'd have to run the hobos out of their blinds sometime mornings. It's just it's just crazy that they put up with all that shit in California. But California, the, the the I have guys that hunt with me that have all their their ammo shipped here, and then when they come here and hunt, they pick up all their ammo and take it home, so they don't have to go through all that bullshit. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, you know that's that's one thing we've learned is if if the kids come home. For some reason, we'll, we'll send them back with ammo when they go back out there just, just to have it so so we're sure we have enough. You can't you, – I learned all this stuff about their ammo restrictions the first trip we were, we were planning. And I thought, well, you know, rather than fly shells out there, I'll just contact Max and have Max ship it to my, my child home. And I start that process, which is, you know, normally how I get shells for myself. And they say, oh, we can't ship to California. And I said, what do you mean you can't ship to California? They said, it's against the law out there to, to mail order ammunition. It's crazy. I'm trying to find. You can't buy areas. shotgun shells, but you can get a transgender surgery for 14-year-olds out there. Yeah, for a, for a little kid. Yeah. It shows you where their legislature is. Uh, what kind but of. I'll, I'll say this, sir. The first time I went out there was was uh, in November of 2020. It was it was right after the presidential election, and of course we were out in the country, north of Sacramento, a couple hours, and I saw way way more Trump signs and flags and banners and all that hanging and flying there than I saw even here in in deep red state Mississippi. So. There are pockets of sanity there. Yeah. Well, and then I saw somebody, they were saying that the electoral college needs to be abolished. Well, I mean, that, that makes no sense because then cities like L.A., New York, they would just run roughshod over all of us little guys. Oh, we wouldn't have any, we wouldn't have any influence in anything. 
No. And you know where that leads to to people that live the lives we lead. It would be nothing good. No, it would. And like like Jeff said, like California is going to be, it's going to be the litmus test. And if it goes over relatively well there, well, there's going to be a lot of other dominoes that fall after that. I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, it's it's you, you know it can we can lose rights by inaction. That's that's what's happening. Exactly right. In from what I understand in Australia, there's a big big loud anti-hunting movement and they've gotten some traction and you know the they're they're losing seasons in Australia they're losing limits down there and you know I think uh, I've forgotten how many territories they have I don't know if they call them provinces states territories but uh, governmental, subdivisions are there i think it's about eight and in all but three or four there's no duck hunting it's oh, banned mm. and you know so again we can't take it for granted no Shit, you take our you take our hunting seasons away and you take football away we might as well all just be french <laughs> yeah why 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 do you want to live like that no shit i mean that's that's it you're just done I saw the videos from Australia and it was, it looked like concentration camps, people that had COVID and they, they just, they locked them up and they had people they had armed guards outside the, the gates and it's crazy what they've done down there in Australia. Best thing for the world is Joe Biden has it because now everybody, cause they're just, the, the white house is not taking it serious. It's like, well, everybody's going to end up getting COVID. Well then let out this do away with the restrictions in. You just said it. Everybody's going to get it. We've all been exposed to it. Let's go. Let's move on with our lives. It's just another cold, cold and flu out season. It's killed people. It's horrible. I feel lots of prayers to the families that's lost people doing it. But if we treated it right and you took the right stuff, it's just another flu that's going to hit. You know, it hits. We get it every year. But he, he has it now, and he's been on. And he went. He was around people today and shit. Well, why ain't he on lockdown for fourteen days wearing a mask everywhere he goes? I mean, shit. He's had four shots and he still got it. So. Yeah. Well, his his position is a moving target all the time. He's trying to shape the narrative based on the facts that fit him the best. Yeah, there's and, no fact and, and that fits I, him best. And I don't know. I don't even know if he knows the fact anymore. No, I've seen some of his recent stuff, and God help us. He don't know if he's eating Fruit Loops or shitting in his pants. <laughs> no, he doesn't. So, what do we have? What do we got coming up? You got any other big trips planned for this coming waterfowl season? Or are you gonna stay pretty close to home? Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna hunt. Uh, let me think. What do we got? We're going to we're going back out to California right before Thanksgiving. Um, we're looking forward now. We're, we're at the what are we seven weeks away from dove season? I'm one. I'm one of these guys. I don't. I'm not just a Labor Day dove hunter. I go every weekend. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a in a actually in a in a dove hunting club. And we we plant sunflowers for for dove fields mm-hmm. and farm. You do and the wild so or the big that's, ones? That's, these these are are farmed. They're big. Uh, there's a name for them. I, I, I always I, forget the name of it. I know what you're talking not about. Not black old, but yeah. We we do better here on wild sunflowers than we do the the uh, harvested ones. I've seen. 
One year that we had a good bunch of guys plant some big ones, and we had them, and they liked the little, the wild sunflowers more than they did the big ones. I don't know if the seeds are too big for them. Right. Now we don't we don't have any wild sunflowers in in the Delta. Um, you know that's that's one of the premier row crop areas of the world. And so if you got if you got land that's fit to grow a crop on, that's what what it's going to be grown on it. And what uh, this is kind of interesting how this Dove Club came about. A group of guys, friends of mine, all loved to love to shoot doves, and like like a lot of people have done, they f- spent years trying to get various farmers to plant sunflower fields for them. They'd tell them, "We'll pay you to do it," and all that. Well, you know that that's that's low yield stuff for farmer. It's low priority. He's busy trying to get his crop in in the springtime. He wants to use his best ground for his highest money producing crop. But what these guys figured out is the, the way to make this work is let's locate good, well-drained, sandy soil areas and rent it from these farmers and guarantee them an income from it. So they're not dependent on the cotton market because that's what you right. you want to plant sunflowers on cotton land. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the good land. So you got to make it worth his while to substitute a sunflower crop for a cotton crop. And so that's that's what what they came up with is is we've got the guy that does ours is farming them just like he grow cotton or beans or corn or whatever. He's giving it the same nurturing that he would be a commercial crop and um so they they get they get sprayed at the right time planted at the right time sprayed at the right times uh burned off at the right time so so that we can provide the best dove hunting we can come up with the other two components of this around here that you want for a good dove field is of course you want a water source you want a roosting source, which trees are not a given in the Delta. There's a lot of it, like I say, it's if it's farmland, it's it's there ain't gonna be anything but crops growing on it. So you want to make sure you got some trees around for a roosting area, and that leads you to wanting to plant your field near town mm-hmm. because that you know the towns have the roosts and doves like kind of urban environment so our our dove fields are all outside the little town of clarksdale which is is about 30 miles south of tunica that we were talking about earlier but uh, so that's coming back that's that's what we'll do during during september and october and then of course um ducks kick in late november here i've, I've got a louisiana trip planned in mid-november then california then it kicks in here and we're here and through the duration do you uh are y'all shooting any white wing doves or just all mornings there that's a that's a great question um i had only seen two white wings in my life until a couple of years ago both of them killed on dove hunts but you know they they were like that's like a freak thing mm-hmm. that's like killing a was like killing a, a sea duck on a mallard hunt you just didn't <laughs> He didn't have them. We had uh, two years ago on our on our dove club. I was just describing. We we're right behind a 
a Gulf Coast hurricane. I can't remember which one it was, but y'all know they come through in September a lot of times. We're right behind a hurricane, and even that far inland, those, those hurricanes will affect us a lot of times. Well, we had four white wings killed on the field that Saturday. Next day, we hunted a different field and had three more white wings killed then, and then had the same thing happen this past season. Right behind hurricanes, white wings are, are being killed. So apparently, this is my belief, it's just the hurricanes are blowing them up. There's a few on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and they're just getting out ahead of the weather. But we're having them show up occasionally. 15, they're, they're kind of a trophy to us. Yeah, 20, 20, 15 to 20 years ago, we didn't have white wings in North Texas. Mm-mm. Now we have days, like, like if we <laughs> hunt close to town, we have fields, it's all will kill us white wings. We may have... 30 guys shoot, you know, 400 white wings on a weekend if they're close to town. You can be three or four or five miles outside of town and not even see a white wing. But we yeah, did, we, uh, we used to. I, was, I believe that that storm, those storms have just caused them to, to repopulate areas that, where you didn't find them before. Yeah, they've moved over all, the years. They, they've they, know, they've adapted. We've all, we've all seen. Uh, those uh, Eurasian collar doves take off. Yes. And, and, you know, they didn't exist 30 years ago anywhere. And then um, they came out of nowhere and, and you find them all over now. And I don't know if y'all got them where you are, but we sure do. You find them almost always going to be associated with towns. You know, you can find morning doves way out in the country, but the, the Eurasians are always going to be close to a town. Yeah. I, th- from a hunter's per- perspective, cotton is the most useless crop that you could ever put in. And we deal with it out here. So <clears throat> yeah, you either have peanuts or you have cotton. And now we're starting to see more and more corn out here. And I tell yeah. you what, when I drive past the field in, in June or July and I see it's in cotton, I think just, what a waste bitch. of good what a, land. What a waste of a good <laughs> what a waste of a good goose spot. I hate it. I, you know, I, that's that's a an interesting point. I uh, I agree with what you say. Um, we have we have a lot of, of cotton that grows in our part of the world, and um, you know, you think as as you mentioned, it, it doesn't produce grain or any or cover or anything, but about. 15 years ago, maybe, it may not have been that long ago, my cousin called me one afternoon. He, he was hunting in the county just east of where we do. And he called me and said, look, I got a bunch of ducks. Why don't you come over and hunt this afternoon? I said, twist my arm, of course. <laughs> so he gives me directions where to go, and we meet up. And I said, okay, what's the deal? And he said, we're going to go out in that field right there. And, I, and the back corner of it's flooded up a little bit. And the ducks are just killing it. And I looked at him, I said, what are you talking about? It's a cotton field. There ain't going to be anything. And they said, just trust me. <laughs> he's a good duck hunter. He knows what he's talking about. He's been in there. Again, like I said, don't guide the guy. That's exactly right. And so we go, we set up, and I mean, absolutely got swarmed with green wing teal. It was, it was 100% teal, about three or four inches of water on a harvested cotton field. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, I don't know, there were probably four acres flooded. 
but we shot a, a limit of all green-winged teal in about an hour and got out of there, came back in there the next day and did it again. And we let it sit for a week or 10 days and did it again. I called a biologist friend of mine, a guy that works for Ducks Unlimited down in, in Jackson, and I, I told him what had happened. I said, why in the world would all those teal be in there? And we, we killed a few other ducks, mallards and blue wings. and, and uh, But anyway, what he told me, it was, it was about the, I don't know, probably the third week of January. It was late in the season. He said, well, what those ducks are doing, he said they're, in that in that shallow water, the uh, invertebrates, little aquatic bugs, are growing. Really, and those ducks are in there catching those invertebrates and eating them because they need protein for the getting getting them fattened up and ready for the migration north. And he said that's why you're killing ducks in that cotton yeah. field. Well, be sure. um, but that that was the only time I've ever done that. I've never encountered ducks in a cotton field other than that. Well, I will wheat. take corn, peanuts, or milo or wheat over cotton any day. And, oh yeah, and, absolutely. And, and you know, it's kind of like the sugar cane in Louisiana. That's what's killed a lot of Louisiana's waterfowl hunting is they've got more sugar cane than they do rice and milo and corn. They start planting a lot more oh, sugar yeah. cane. That's total habitat yep. loss. You and turn in, a turn a turn a grain field into a cane field or a yep. crawfish field. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you've, you've lost what makes the ducks want to come to it. In southwest of Houston, they turned it into pavement, and they built houses and put cars on them. And that's why there's no geese down yeah. there anymore either. Well, yeah. Jim, we appreciate I'll tell you that. Hold on. Um, you've got – so I read you're – getting, you're getting ready to pen another book. Did I see yeah. this correctly? Yes. Is, is this in the works? How close? How far along in the process are we? It is. It is written. My my designer has it in her very capable hands. Turn it in, into the actual electronic format that we'll have printed. And so we're we're going through these steps. It takes a long time for some reason. I guess it's just because you depend on different people to do different things. But I've got it written. I'm, I hope to have it out this fall. Now, what is this book going to be like? Is this going to be more short stories, more from your journal, or how, yeah. how is this going to be? It, it, this one's this one is going to be exclusively about our hunting club that's between the mainline Mississippi River levee and the river. It's it's called behind the levee, which is kind of a, a catchphrase here uh, for the for the playing in the Mississippi River, which is 100% hunting clubs from Memphis to Vicksburg. And uh, it's going to be, you know, some history of that club, um, as well as a lot of the, the hunting tales that, that I've accumulated. It, it will be, my first book was all wing sheet, mostly ducks and geese, a little bit of upland here and there, but mostly ducks and geese. This will, will pick up It'll be waterfowling, and and uh, but it will also be some deer and some turkey and some fishing and a lot of things that have happened in our club and in our own camp and family and friends and dogs and good times and bad times. But uh, that's what this one's going to be. Well, very good, and you hope to have it out by this fall. So that's 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 not very yeah. far away. So. 
You got nope. a, you got nope. a, you got a couple more weeks, so don't mean to put your feet to the fire, but you got to get going on it. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll hope for a for a release by November. Okay, perfect, perfect. And if people want to buy your first book, Amid the Cypress, can Amazon? Is that the best way, or how? What? Wh- which way no, is no, more me, beneficial to you? The, we're we're still selling them direct, perfect. and the easiest way to get them is look me up on Facebook. I'm Jim Cruz. It's J I M C R E W S, or on Instagram, and that's Jim Cruz Amid the Cypress. And uh, just send me a. a instant message and i'll see it and i'll i'll respond that's the easy easy way to do it that's the it's it's super simple well listen like jeff said we really appreciate you coming on here um good luck this waterfowl season good luck this dove season and it sounds like you've got a lot going on and we look forward to your second book we hope that it is a success and um if you get down there if you see ramsey before we do Wish him the best. Sounds like he's got a tough life. Tough, tough road to hoe if you're Ramsey Russell. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I will be seeing him soon. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you guys. And I, I hope y'all have a, a fabulous season that's a lot better than last year. Boy, that's no shit. Thank you, thank you, Jim. God bless you and have a great, great weekend, my if friend. If there's anything we can do for you, let us know, okay? Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, yes, thank sir. you. Thank you. Bye. Interesting man. Mid- that is a very historic area where he hunts at. Sounds like he really enjoys life, and he's doing it to his fullest, and good for him. Now, wait a second. What? There was something that I was going to show you. Your The shot. The shot. My fucking phone blew up whenever. Um, give me just a second. Um, a guy sent me a video... Let me see if I can find it. It is I'm trying to remember who sent it to me, but apparently airsoft or air uh, rifles are going to be legal to air, shoot waterfowl with airsoft rifles. I have no That's clue. That's not it. Um, oh shit! Who sent me that? And why can't I find it? That wasn't. Anything. I had a guy went to book a trip. They just wanted to shoot birds with airsoft rifles here one time, or air guns, air guns, not airsoft guns, air guns. God damn it, who sent me that? Motherfucker. And where'd they send it to me on? Well, that's what wears me out, is finding four social media things looking for messages from somebody. No, that's not it. God damn it. Whoever it is, send it to us again. No. Or send it to Andy again. It's a guy that's messaged me a million fucking, I've talked to him before. So anyways, airsoft guns or air air guns? Like pellets. That's different than an airsoft gun. Airsoft what is, is it? what your kids shoot. Right. You're talking about just right, a, pellet, right, right, right. a pellet Like a gun. pellet gun. Yeah, that you can shoot, you can shoot waterfowl with them now? Yeah, oh boy. Maybe this is... Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. That's what they use. Uh, Clark, Lewis and Clark deal, they had a guy that had an air gun. I know a guy that shot a lot of bands with, an air, with a fucking pellet gun too. <laughs> I ain't gonna say nothing. In Colorado. I ain't gonna say nothing. <laughs> Okay, hold on. Let me see if I can pull this, put this on the big screen so that we can all see it. Um, God damn it, why am I not fucking smart enough to figure this out? Here we go. That's not what I'm looking for. That is not at all what I'm fucking looking for here. Hang on. 
here. I'll just put it here. State of Idaho. Let me just look it up. We'll look it up when we get back. Hold we'll on, I'm gonna look on it up. I'm gonna look it up right now. Airgun, Idaho. Airgun, waterfowl, Idaho. And that kid could have just been full of shit. Air guns are legal to hunt small and upland game in Idaho. That is not waterfowl. So it is looking like the fellow that sent me that got spoofed. I believe you. Nah, you don't give a shit. You're ready to go home. We're going on vacation. You're ready to go home. You're not even going to engage on this. Well, there's nothing to talk about. It's not true. I think that the history of the air gun is amazing, and Mikey told me about it. I didn't realize they used one on the the uh, Lewis and Clark expedition. They had one. I guess they shot bears with it. I don't know. Air guns and... It's it it has to pass federal statutes to shoot waterfowl with it. I'm sure. So I'm assuming that's why you can shoot other thing with it. I can't find anything. I think you can shoot quail with them here. I can't find anything. So I'm going to say that that guy got spoofed and that guy was just. Well, here I could read the comments. That would be the easiest thing, because let me tell you, you post a video like that and it you're not fucking. It's not true. You get your ding dong kicked in. Yep. He was trolling, apparently. All right. You ready for vacation? It is legal. Ah, shit, I don't care. You don't? We got everything yeah. caught up for next week, so while everybody's enjoying these podcasts, we will be on the West Coast. Oh, boy. The Fucking Northwest Coast. It's going to be nice temperature, though. Drug capital of the world. Drug and abortion capital, murder capital, everything. The cesspool. Murder of, capital, no. The cesspool of America. We're going to go visit it. Why not? No, we're not. We're landing there, and then we're going to go out to the... You get outside of Seattle and Portland, people are great. Those are the areas that are bad. Everything else is not... Everybody's just like we are. It's a shithole, Jeff. It's a shithole up there. Have you looked outside here lately? I would much rather see some of their scenes. I don't see anybody got. shitting on our sidewalk out there like no. we're going to see when we land in Seattle and Portland or wherever well, the we're going to go. We're going to be a long way from there. It's going to be beautiful. Oh. Orca whales, grizzly Drugs bears, Drugs everywhere, great. needles. I gotta, I gotta make sure my kids don't don't pick <laughs> up hell? needles as they walk by. Well, Andy's a barrel. You, we just got out of St. Louis. That's a I bad didn't place. see any needles there. Well, we were in a good part of St. Louis. I didn't see any needles no, on the it was, ground. It was a good trip. Dive bomb, no needles at their show. No, it was a great time. A great time, a great venue, very organized. Hats off to Cody. They done a great job there. All right, God bless y'all. Thank y'all. Have a great week. Hope you enjoyed uh, the newest episode of The First Family of Waterfowl. When is episode three coming Episode out? three will be out tonight, so go look at episode it. Episode three will be out tonight. Oh, this is coming out next Thursday. Okay, good. <laughs> you have, no, I'm, I'm lost on God this. Okay, damn. good. Just go with what okay. I say, Jeff. Okay. Yes, come out tonight. Episode three. Go to YouTube, 7 o'clock tonight. It'll be up. Episode three, and then next week will be our finale for The First Family of Waterfowl. We hope that you have enjoyed it. I know the biggest complaint has been that it's not long enough, but I would much rather it be two minutes too long than seven or eight minutes, or two minutes too short than seven or eight minutes too long. Episodes will be longer next year, and there will be more of them, but it, we're not filming IMAX movie every week. We're not, we're not doing that, but 
what we're trying to do is we will extend it a little bit longer. Go to stanfieldhunting.com and go to shop or store. Go to store, hit the button right there. We have the First Family Waterfowl t-shirts for sale on it. Thank you very much. God bless y'all. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Go check out all of our great sponsors. Go check out Lucky Duck, Looking Glass Duck Club Podcast, Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Bangtail Whiskey, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Dirty Duck Coffee, Ducks Unlimited, uh, Double T British Kennels, Shin Gear Waiters, Gundog Outdoors, Pacific Calls, Dive Bomb Industries, and Boss Shot Shells.